If you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Before, can you put the, the graphic up real quick? I just want you to see it because I'm going to reference it in a second. Just look at that. Okay, now you can put the now you can put the scripture back up. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the, for the ways that you nourish us by your word and sustain us. And God, I pray that we would be attentive to your voice. God, I pray that you would help me to, to speak what is contained in the scriptures and nothing else. Father, may our hearts be soft and open to you, then our lives would be transformed by you. God, let us respond to you in love as you have both commanded us and made us for. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark for a long time. Uh, we're going to spend several months doing the first half of the Gospel of Mark, and then I'll give you a break, and we'll, we'll go someplace else for a little bit, and then we'll come back to the second half of the Gospel of Mark for another long time. Um, the Gospel of Mark is, is a unique uh, of the four voices. It's got a unique history in, in the life of the church. Uh, it's the shortest one, and if you didn't realize that, and the church sort of dealt with it at times, though definitely Scripture as sort of the least desirable. Four of four. In, in the rankings. Early commentators love Matthew, love the way that it's structured, love all the prophecy. They love John, the poetry, and all, all of the statements of Jesus' clear identity. Love the way that Luke has this very thorough account, and then there's just Mark, you know. Matthew and, and Luke um, have a lot of things that Mark has plus more, so it's kind of like, Mark's fine. Mark is fine. Um, it's always been associated with the Apostle Peter. We have early, early testimony that this Mark is John Mark in the New Testament, who you'll see at various times 
kind of a little bit of conflict with Paul, but then they make up, and John Mark is this very important person personally to Paul and in the life of the New Testament, but by tradition he ends up serving with Peter ultimately, and in, in probably in Rome or some other Gentile location. And so he writes this gospel as a result of Peter's testimony and teaching. And that will make sense of some things as we go through the Gospel of Mark. You'll be able to see this very Petrine influence, this perspective of Peter multiple times that we don't get from other Gospels. Now, scholars pretty much universally don't view Mark as what the other church writers did, that he was sort of looking at Matthew and Luke and doing a sum, summary job. Now, we feel pretty confident for a number of reasons that Mark is actually the first gospel written, and that Matthew and Luke were aware of the gospel of Mark and used it on purpose in the writing of their own gospel, that when Luke, for example, is saying he consults all the sources, Mark would have been a significant source that he consults. And Mark brings his own particular voice in helping to create this term, gospel. Right at the beginning of this work is this thing that he's doing. He tells us it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this beginning, the way that he starts it, is really important because Mark wants you to see very clearly. And this is an issue. Do you see very clearly the truth about Jesus? So the question posed to you in the graphic for this series is this. Do you see clearly? And this will literally be become a question by the time we get to the halfway point of this gospel. Do you see with clarity who Jesus is? And, and Mark is very clear about who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ he is the anointed fulfillment of messianic promise to Israel. And he is the son of God. He, he is telling you from the beginning exactly who Jesus is while you read many stories of lots of people not being really clear about who he is. Jesus is going to lay out his identity, his authority, his kingly power for chapter upon chapter upon chapter. And yet Mark is still going to, in a number of ways, say, but, but make sure you see all of it. Make sure you see the whole truth about who this Son of God actually is. The disciples who lived with him, who walked with him, didn't see it. They frequently missed who Jesus actually is. Mark has a very clear way that you can see and understand the fullness of this title, Jesus Christ, Son of God. But here he starts at the beginning with the words of prophets. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This is actually partially a quotation of Isaiah. It's partially a quotation of Malachi with a little bit of Exodus thrown in there. 
He stitched together three different pieces of the Old Testament, presenting to you the law and the prophets, major and minor, to tell you that this person, John, John the Baptist, is coming to prepare the way for this one that he's going to talk about, Jesus the Christ, Son of God. And somehow, this is good news. John the Baptist is, to me, not sort of the icon of good news. He's a crazy man. He is a wild man who yells in the desert. He is, he is wearing camel hair and eating bugs and drinking honey for his sustenance. And his message is very clear. You are in sin and you need to repent. That, to me, doesn't really sound like great news. In fact, the, the people who are coming to hear him don't always feel like it's good news. The, the people, the lower class people, the, the ordinary people, they seem to respond pretty strongly and widely to John the Baptist. But people like the Pharisees, people like rulers who John gets in their face and lays their business out in front of everyone, they don't really feel like this is good news either. And this is what ultimately results in the removal of John the Baptist's head from his body. Because they don't like him. He is, he is somebody, a problem to be managed, to be silenced, to be shuffled away. And I, I personally, I get it. I don't want to hear this kind of message. But Mark is being very clear that this is not a separation from the good news of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. He has started the story of Jesus with this right away jumping straight into here. Forget all the birth stories and the angel Gabriel and shepherds coming to the manger. Let's go and get into the action. And John is part of the announcement of this good news. So, so for some reason, if the gospel writer believes that this is part of the good news, we ought to be attentive as well to what John is saying. And he offers this Baptism, this cleansing from their sins. John the Baptist is not a Baptist. He's a baptizer. Baptists don't exist then. And I prefer that the Baptists don't get to have him. John the baptizer is not inventing baptism. Other people have baptism. Other communities, other religious traditions have baptism. It's a symbol that people understood. When, when John the Baptist says, you need to be baptized, people didn't say, what? They understood what he was saying. Now, he was not looking at a ceremonial bathtub or, or bathing place, but is instead doing it in the Jordan River, and he's saying, come be baptized here. This is the preparation for the arrival of Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Mark presents this as the fulfillment of this prophecy that the God of Israel is going to come to Israel. That's the imagery in the book of Isaiah. That's the story of the whole people of Israel. The God of Israel is going to come to Israel. 
And his way is to be prepared by repentance. The truth is that sin is a massive problem. And that when the God of Israel comes close to his people, you do need to be prepared. And this, this can feel like a pronouncement of doom. You better get ready. You better get yourself right. Because God is coming. But there is a, a pronouncement of doom in this that bears a ring of truth. Much of the, the, the show that it feels to us, the, the, the visuals, the, the symbolism, the reality of the covenant in the Old Testament is constantly reminding Israel that their sin is an ever-present problem that they do not even understand. That's why there are sacrifices and ritual cleansings for so many things. For us, they seem silly, they seem nonsensical, but Israel is constantly being told, you have things that are wrong with you, and you are going to be in the presence of the holy God. Not your buddy, not a spiritual pal, not a spirit guide. It is the creator God of heaven and earth who is totally holy and unapproachable in light. And you do not get to just shuffle up to him however it is you choose. And so the constant ritualization of cleansing in the story of Israel is a reminder that they are in fact in real danger. That somehow being with God and in God's presence is the most desirable thing that they ought to desire and the most dangerous thing that they could ever do. And so they have to be ready. And so John, when he comes and he's preaching this message, prepare the way, prepare the way of the Lord, he is not, as they might hope, saying, clear out your political enemies, get your finances in order, make sure that you present well on the front, the primary thing that he is saying is prepare the way of the Lord as you repent from your sin. You need to be cleansed. The truth is that we do not properly reckon with the reality of sin. We reckon with other people's sin very well. I can see the problem in this person or that person very easily because it annoys me, it hurts me, it deprives me. But I am blinded oftentimes to my own sin. Now, I mean, I know I'm not perfect. All of us can say that. It's like the easiest confession of all time. Oh, no, I'm not perfect. No, I, I, I do know that. I do know my own sin. But there are times in my life, and I would assume in yours, where you come around the corner of relationship with other people and you say, I have no idea that I was doing that. I have no idea that I was singing against you like that. And all the more inside the confines of your own heart. There are things going on inside of my heart that you will never bump into. 
that, that I am that I am keeping hidden on the under the subterranean layers of my being. And the truth is, not only are you not aware, but I am blind to it. I am probably willfully blind. And when we hear the psalmist asking God, search me and know me and reveal my sin, we are hearing the reflection of these dynamics. Sin is pervasive, it is blinding, and it is not just someone else's problem. It is your problem. It is my problem. And you better be ready. Now, all of this is happening in the wilderness. John is a wilderness man, clothed in wilderness animal, eating wilderness food. And for us who are reading this, we can hear the, the threat of, of the Palestinian wilderness and think this is, this is where everybody goes to die, to hear this message of doom in this place of death. But for the people of Israel, wilderness is not a place of threat. Wilderness is a place of hope. Commentator R.T. France says that everything that God does in the biggest ways in the story of Israel happens in the wilderness. It is in the wilderness that God reveals himself at Mount Sinai. It is in the wilderness that God miraculously provides for his people. And not only is it a place of deliverance, it's a place of purification. In the prophet Hosea, God explicitly says to Israel, I will woo you into the wilderness to cleanse you from all of your sin and to deliver you back to me, your first love. So the fact that this voice is coming out of the wilderness and the people of Israel are going out from the towns, out from the cities, out into the wilderness is not a sign of doom. It is a sign of deliverance. And the message that John is bringing, though terrifying and true, is also good news. You do need to be ready. You do need to deal with sin. You do need to prepare but this is what John's father, Zechariah, prophesies at his birth. This is from Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. The God of Israel is speaking through John to deliver his people 
The message is not, you are in sin. You better fix yourself so that God will come to you. The message is that the God of Israel is coming to deliver even you from your sin. The Lord is coming not so that your life will be marked by wrath, but that your life will be marked by mercy. <coughs> the God of Israel is coming not so that you would live in terror before him, so that you can serve him without fear. John is saying, come and be baptized. <clears throat> be cleansed. Be delivered in the repentance of your sins. Turn again away from the way of you doing things your way in the way that makes sense in this world and instead turn. Turn to the kingdom. Turn to God. Become reacquainted and re-familiar with an entirely new way of doing things. It is God's way. Repent from your sin and God is eager to show mercy upon you. This is not a word of doom. It is a word of warning but it is a word of mercy. And John says, as good as this news is in preparation for the way of God's coming, it will get even better. Jesus is coming. Without even speaking his name, John begins to point for us the clarity of what Jesus will do. John is baptizing in water, but when Jesus comes to institute his baptism, it will be with the Spirit of God himself. So it's not just the waters of the Jordan that will cover you. It will be the very person of God. God is not warning you to repent from your sins because he's about to step on you and to smush you. God is warning you and reminding you to repent of your sins because he has so much more mercy for you. And if you are here today and you are caught in the wilderness of sin, you can respond to that wilderness in one of two ways. You can persist in your wilderness wanderings and ignore God, pretending that everything will be all right, deceiving yourself into telling yourself that I'm fine just the way that I am. It's everybody else's problem. I will keep going down this road. And in that case, the wilderness will kill you. But it is a doom of your own making. If you recognize that you are in the wilderness of sin, you have never been closer to deliverance than that moment. If you will embrace the place of repentance, you will find not your doom collapsing upon your shoulders, but the giving of God's great mercy that will roll over you like a flood, not once, but again and again and again so that you might never ever have to come before the Lord in fear. Jesus comes to be the Christ, the Son of God for you.
You need his saving. You need his baptizing. You need his spirit. And if you are so overwhelmed by the constancy of your repentance, I am repenting all the time. I am always doing repenting. You are the perfect kind of person for Jesus' kingdom. You are the weary one, the heavy laden one, that Jesus promises to give rest to. You are the fearful one, the guilty one, that Jesus came to speak peace to, to settle you. And he is unsurprised by your need for repentance. He's seen it the whole way through. And at every step of your lifelong reorientation to his goodness, you will find him waiting there for you with more than enough mercy yet again. Jesus is coming for you. He is coming for you. Prepare the way in your own heart. Repent of your sin. And with great joy, I say again to you, Jesus is coming for you. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this good news, the proclamation of this victorious good news for us, for your people. God, I pray for those who are trapped in sin today, who know it, who feel in the wilderness, who feel weighted down and overwhelmed. And God, I pray that you would come to them, that they would speak the truth about themselves. Even if they have no idea how to fix it, they have no idea how to make things right, if they would just acknowledge their sin, repent of it, and even say, God, I don't even know how to turn and go the other way. But if they would say, Lord, would you help me to turn and go the other way? This is the beginning of reorientation to the kingdom. And Father, I pray that you would deliver them from their sin, assure them of your mercy, and pour out your loving kindness on them. And Father, I pray for all of us who have walked with you for a long time. God, I pray that we would not be deluded and deceived. We would, that we would not comfort ourselves with the sin of other people. That we would not play comparison with people who we are bound to be better than. But God, I pray that you would help us to have open eyes and open ears. That you would show us our sin and we would hear that, not as condemnation, but as relief that this is yet one more place where Jesus will deliver us. Father, let us be a people who are free confessors of our own sin so that we might be a people who freely speak of your great mercy for us and for all people. Jesus, we love you. We are grateful to you. We pray that we would be shaped by your mercy and love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.